Welcome to No Compromises, a peek into the mind of two old web devs who have seen some things. This is Joel. And this is Aaron. A couple episodes back, we uh, tried a different format, maybe a less 100% developer focused, but kind of how we do work, how we work with clients, how we work on projects, because there is some overlap. And so last time we talked about qualifying and uh, mm-hmm. today I thought we could talk a little bit more about scope, budget, th- things around that, like, it, like still before the work begins, but after you've figured out you want to work with this client. Mm-hmm. So let's start with scope. Um, so this is a client we've qualified. We, we, we kind of feel like there's a, a good chance we'll work well together. They pass that, that first uh, hurdle, so to speak. <laughs> but um, they usually when you're talking to a client in this um, context, they have a project in mind. And so for, for sake of our discussion today, let, let's assume this isn't like a totally greenfield, brand new project that's being created out of thin air. All the, the principles would apply. But let, let's say um, they have an established application and they a want web application. a web application. Yeah. yeah. So just assume if I say app, I'm not talking about an iOS app, web app that... They want to they want to add a feature to it or maybe a couple of features. So so let's t- let's take as a specific example a client that runs trivia events, right? And so they they typically do this in person, and now they want to be able to run these events online or remotely. And so mm-hmm. so they come to you with this feature request, and the thing they're asking for is a mobile app. So we we took that feature request, but I- instead of just drilling right into the technical details, like, oh, you know, like, do you, do you want this to, to run on iOS or, you know, like, like all those specific things mm-hmm. where we like to start is to kind of back up and figure out what's driving this feature request. Like, what is the business problem that's being solved? Because a business isn't going to pay you money to develop a feature unless it's actually doing something productive for them. Yeah, I, I think that's important that we we kind of stop right there and talk about the fact that it does take a little bit of an exercising of a particular muscle to mm-hmm. hear hear the customer ask for something, yeah. and then to just not start building that thing too. Right, and it's not it's not that we don't respect that they've done their due diligence. It's just that their due diligence revolves usually around their business needs and then an idea that they have heard of that could probably solve it. Whereas yeah. as technical people, we know we know probably more solutions um, than they do. And so when we understand and take that moment, we're not saying that, no, they haven't thought it out or they don't know what they're doing. We just want to make sure that, that um, we've helped them or kind of like... It sounds bad. Like I don't want to say like we bless their decision to get that solution, <laughs> right. but 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 that we we agree that that is the best thing, um, so that we can own the own it too when we're building it. Because yeah. there's nothing worse than trying to build something when you're like this is this is not the right thing to do. Yeah, that, that's a good clarification. We're not second guessing or, or saying we know better, but help, uh, just understanding how that decision was arrived at is beneficial, mm-hmm. even if it ends up being the decision, like even if we don't change the direction they want to go. But so this client says, I want this, uh, this mobile app to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of think about those X, Y, and Z that they're trying to accomplish. Is there, is this the best way to accomplish that? Or are there other ways? And how does that fit into some sort of 
scope and also, you know, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but also their budget constraints too. Right. And, and it is the, is the mobile app always the best solution in this particular concrete example? Is the solution they want something that they can afford now, something that they need now, or are there intermediate steps? Because yeah. one, one of the things we want to talk about too is, is sometimes those solutions they come up with, they don't understand how much effort and how long it's going to take to implement that. And so for a business, maybe they need the solution that this provides in three months, and it's going to take us nine months to build it. They could go out of business, maybe. It depends on like yeah. what the need is. And so it's it's in our due diligence of working with this client, we're going to say, you know, what are some of the reasons why you need this so that we can make sure that we give them all the different options. Yeah. And, and this particular example was somewhat time sensitive. So that was a huge driving factor in us exploring possible solutions was to, to find one that not only met the business goals, but in time for the business need. And um, I've, I've had clients comment almost a little surprised <laughs> that we, we take an interest in the business side of things because th- this isn't very typical, but where I really feel that it benefits not only us, but the customer is when, when we get to the point of pitching, you know, submitting a proposal, now it's not all like nerdy technical details, but we tie those things back to those business goals because mm-hmm. generally the person we're giving the proposal to, there, there's other people that are going to look at it and maybe even other people that are involved in the decision. And so they, having them see this particular way of doing this project connects with these two business goals is a lot more concrete than just a, a bullet points of like a tech stack and what version of this, or even a list of features, um, it, go, it goes beyond that. And it really shows that we're kind of invested in the business succeeding, not just like this project being built and being technically good, but also actually serving a purpose. I think it's important to bring up again too, uh, something I've learned earlier in my career with this whole process is it can be enticing to learn more about the business and go too far down that route. Oh, sure. Or, yeah. Or, or um, to develop opinions based off your small bit of context. And so when you hear from a customer that they've made XYZ decisions, and maybe your gut reaction is, well, that doesn't seem right, or, or what's wrong with them? You have to learn to like swallow that and just list that as maybe there's an, maybe there's something here I need to understand more, or maybe this is uh, a common mistake that maybe this company does over and over. I'm not going to change that, but I can build in. Um, functionality to protect against that for the next time. So it's, again, when we talk about understanding the business, it's it's not about going down that rabbit hole and trying to understand too much, but it's, it's understanding enough to make sure that you understand why they asked for this thing, not dissecting their entire business for them. Yeah. Yeah. You're so reasonable, Aaron. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've made a lot of mistakes in the past. Uh, I've, I, I, you know, sometimes you learn by making mistakes and I've come off across arrogant too. And learn from that, you know, and, and um, that's why I wanted to share that side of it. So <laughs> good, good, good to keep in mind. So let, let's shift a little bit to budget because scope and budget go in hand. But obviously, we're not going to talk specific prices here. That's not the interesting bit. But I, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about just how we calculate a budget because I've seen this done a few different ways. I've done it <laughs> over my career a few different ways. But, but really, like our approach, is to give a flat fixed project price. 
And um, I can already feel like some shutters going through developers <laughs> out there because uh, software estimation is a very tricky thing. And so like, well, how could I possibly give a fixed price when, it, you know, maybe it'll take 10 times longer than I thought. Well, okay. Uh, that is, that is a valid concern, but uh, let's talk about why we do it. And uh, this is something that I, I had to learn myself and um, it, it, it took a few tries of doing this to, to really get good at it. But um, think about, think of it from the, the customer's perspective they don't want to also write you a blank check, right? So there, there's risk in how long is this going to take in the um, example where you're just billing hourly, you're essentially putting all of the risk onto the client, right? They, they're they're going to hope that your estimate was accurate. And you might think, well, if, if you're doing fixed bid, is that then shifting all of the risk back to the developer? And, and I don't think it has to. So when when we write these proposals and we, we the reason we drill into the scope that's why we started with that is the discussion is because it's focused on a business outcome and the proposal lists the the steps we're going to take to reach that business outcome all the minutia of you know what color should this button be or how does this exact feature work those can be settled by answering one question well does it contribute to the business outcome or is it just you know, like a nice to have thing. So you have some with a fixed bid and a well-defined scope that's outcome oriented, you have you have a lever to push back. If things are taking way longer than they should, it's likely because the scope is trying to increase or things are being thrown in that don't have to do with the actual business outcome you're trying to reach. I think I think one of the reasons why some um, customers like might want hourly billing is they feel like it's a way to kind of control their budget and, and mm-hmm. you say it puts the risk on them, but they may say that, um, you know, we might have flexible budgets. And so this month you can only work 20 hours. So I, so I know for a maximum this month, I'm only going to spend X amount of dollars. Um, and I think they also look at it as a way to reduce their risk. Meaning that if, if, you know, if they've worked with you for 20 hours and things aren't working as they expect, you know, they kind of just say, well, then let's wrap it up. We've only wasted 20 hours <laughs> sure, versus yeah. giving someone a, a check and then realizing halfway through it's not going to work out. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a number of different ways to combat stuff like that. Um, but I, I wanted to kind of still continue to, to tie this back to scope. Mm-hmm. A, lo- a lot of the idea of a flat rate too has to do with understanding that the rate can be flat per scope item. And so you can kind of like, start to look at these things and start to break them down into phases and things like that as well. Um, You know, because on the flip side with a flat rate, you know, then people wonder like, how long is this going to take? And (laughs) can you give that answer and stuff like that? So customers have their own needs. That's why we come back to the scope and understanding the business, because there's been many times when we've changed scope because we understood that one of their needs had to do with a date in order to hit a deliverable of that date, we had to change the output that we gave them. So there was yeah. no way we could do all the things that they wanted in that time frame. So we helped, we explained that and then we helped them understand um, what we could do and then figured out what was the most important business goal to achieve by that date. Yeah. One, one thing I thought of as you were saying that is it, it kind of shifts the dynamic to be more of a partnership too, because you and the client are invested in a successful outcome and you're not, you're not quibbling over, well, why did you spend 30 hours 
you know, writing unit tests. You know what I mean? Like if you were going right. to bill by the hour and account for every minute you spent, it like frees us up to do work in a professional manner as we see fit. But it also locks the client in to know like, well, it's going to cost this much. And so just to give some round numbers, like if this feature is going to generate $200,000 in revenue this year, yeah, I'll happily pay some developers $50,000 as a flat rate to do that. It makes perfect sense. So everything is aligned that way, um, but it, it makes it less adversarial because you're kind of both trying to reach the same goal. Whereas if you're billing hourly, like, like well, do it faster. Like, oh, okay, but don't cut corners. <laughs> you know, I mean, right, right. It, it's, it's, it's kind of like this weird spot to be in. But what would you say to people, though, that want to give that flat rate? Mm-hmm. They think they've done the scoping and then they found out that they just missed something and there's no way this flat rate covers their time. Yeah, sometimes things are missed. Mistakes are made. And, and really, in the development world, sometimes things just take way longer than you expect and, and to, to nobody's fault. And so like how I personally handle that is I kind of try to gauge, like, is this something I missed? Um, in the grand scope of the project, is this a small percentage? Like sometimes I'll just do it, but other times when it's not something I feel like I can absorb, or if I feel like it's something that was only revealed later, you just have to have an honest conversation and and go to uh, the the client and explain, you know, what the situation is and present some options. You know, you're not just saying no, I'm not doing this, or give me more money, or things like that. But you know, well, here, here's the situation. Here are some ways we could deal with it. Maybe we could. Um, deliver that specific thing later in a separate pot project, or we could drop this other thing over here that wasn't as important in order to accommodate this, or or maybe increasing budget and in, in the timeline of the project it is a viable option. But just to have that honest conversation and, and talk it through again, kind of you know in the mindset of a partnership. So I think to wrap it up, uh, you know, for the second kind of. Um, step along the process is, you know, first we kind of qualified the project and customer. Do we want to work with them? Are they going to fit our model? Second is we go and dig in and understand the, 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 the scope, the business needs, what business problems this is solving. So we can kind of give some sort of idea of flat rate of something that we can apply to this and, and, and break it up and, and understand what the, what the deliverables really are. And is this mm-hmm. the right, if what they're asking for is the right deliverable, and then how much that would kind of cost. And then, you know, I think what we kind of said in the meantime is, is, is also part of that qualification process was determining if this is a customer that would be open to having a conversation yeah. should something go wrong. Right. So you can kind of feel that out during that first step too, is are they just very <laughs> not understanding? Yeah. Then, then, you know, there's a tremendous amount of risk uh, for, for many reasons, and maybe they're not a good fit. There's a lot of things that we don't necessarily treat equally with how we consider or think about them. For example, people are amazed by the fact that every snowflake seems unique and different, but nobody really cares that every potato is unique, you know? So like, what's the difference here? Like, why do we make decisions on some things are amazing and beautiful and then other things are, well, that's just a potato. First of all, I thought the thing about snowflakes was a myth. Yeah. Well, that's why I said they, that's why they seem to think they're, they're all different. Okay. Well, I don't know if anybody has ever like done one of those uh, assignments in kindergarten where you fold the paper and you cut it and it produces, unfold it. And then it's a potato. 
like you've never like so (laughs) (laughs) it just um it just doesn't have the same beauty in the eye i think so (laughs) but yes that's a good point yeah and i I guess you know you really can't send a snowflake through the mail but they have a service where you can send a potato through the mail with like someone's face on it or something yep and you you know the post office was just like super angry when that trend kicked off they're like don't we have enough to deal with and now there's potatoes coming through (laughs) that that reminds me though um i i was on amazon um and i found there's a lot of if you're on amazon there's a lot of things you can find randomly Mm -hmm. um and i'm not sure if i ever shared this with you joel um but my brother had bought a house and i decided that uh, i wanted to send him a housewarming gift and so there was a couple different options. There was like a cardboard cutout. And I thought like, that'd be cool. Get someone like a cardboard cutout of a person just standing. Like have someone, <laughs> okay. you know, have my sister sneak into his house in the middle of the night and then put it up on his wall or something. You know, when you wake up in the morning, you're walking and then all of a sudden there's like a random dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I bet. Get, get the blood pumping in the morning. <laughs> but instead I decided that I would send him 1500 of something. It's 1,500 of these things. They came in a bag. And I did not understand that this is a thing you could send to people. Um, I'm scared. But, but I sent him 1,500 live ladybugs. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, and he, he was like, what? And basically, they come in a bag, and they're kind of like sleeping, I guess. Um, and so he opens up this bag and finds a mass of ladybugs. Oh boy. <laughs> He's like, what's wrong with you? But everything ended up turning out okay, because my mom uh, has you know a garden and a farm, and so he just took the bag over to her and, and he, he thought that he was going to like, oh, mom, uh, bugs. But she was like, oh, this is awesome. And she went and put them all in her, her garden, which I guess is helpful for some reason. I, I don't they, know. Yeah, they eat little bugs. They eat like aphids or something that are bad for your plants. Yeah. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I guess, you know, I didn't understand that you could uh, get those. Well, you should have got him a bag of aphids to go with it. Then it would have been like a whole ecosystem. <laughs> Hey, if you like our podcast and you want more of this type of content, check out our website, masteringlaravel.io. 